we don't just go to church as a hobby. We're like Paul. In him, we live and move and have our being. It's the focal point of our lives. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. In the letter that we wrote at the front of that Go um, booklet, we talked about how this is our mandate, that we have to go into these four areas. Jerusalem, which of course is our own local ministry here at First Pentecostal Church. Judea, that's our surrounding areas and also what we consider to be North America missions. Samaria is where we go into people that have special needs. We have a prison ministry. We have a special ministry that goes in to help people uh, that are um, in uh, adult living facilities and can't come to church. And then the uttermost part of the earth is where we go into our global missions. And this is something that we endeavor to do as a local church, but this is a mandate upon all Christians. For all of us to do these things, how do we do them individually? We can't do it on our own. We all need one another. And so collectively, we come together and we attempt to fulfill this great commission. It can't happen without having the power of the Holy Ghost, that wind beneath our wings, if I can say it that way. And so last Sunday morning, we talked about 40 days of favor. I haven't been able to get away from that subject. Wednesday night, we talked about positioning ourselves for favor. And this morning, we want to talk about favor to witness. Favor to witness. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, it's a privilege to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Shake their hand, greet them, and you may be seated. Praise the name of the Lord. Favor to witness. We've been talking about 40 days of favor, and we based that last Sunday on the 40 days that Jesus showed himself alive after his passion to his disciples and followers and all that took place after the resurrection and before he ascended and went into heaven. I was excited to hear that different ones in the church are catching on to this 40 day of vision or 40 days of favor vision. I, I was excited to hear one lady told me, the, text me a miracle that's already taken place. She said, this is my first miracle of the 40 days of favor. I was excited to have her word it that way because she's expecting more miracles. I'm going to tell you what, it's a great way to serve God if you'll serve God every day with an expectation that tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. And then to hear about one young man in our church who grabbed this vision and he's got, his parents were telling me they saw his room and he's got 40 sticky notes all around his bedroom and each one of those sticky notes is a promise from God, from the Word of God for that day. And each day he pulls that sticky note down. I thought that is awesome because that's what it means to get into the Word of God and to realize that God has something special for every single person in this building. Well, we see this in the book of Acts. As we start to unfold the book of Acts, we find that the book of Acts at its beginning has, as it were, a table of contents. The first part is the ascension as Jesus goes up to be back into the air and then into heaven. 
But he said, as you've seen him go into heaven, he will return in like manner. We read about that in chapter 1. And then we see the replacing of Judas, the disciple who betrayed the Lord. They replace him with uh, Matthias in the end of chapter 1. And then we read about Pentecost as it is poured out the power of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. And then the healing of the lame man in Acts chapter 3. The Sanhedrin, these this council of religious leaders, as it were, made up of the high priest and chief priests and all these different uh, individuals of the day that made up this religious ruling body. In Acts chapter 4, we see how they then attempt to squelch or to squash, as it were, this tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God this boldness that was on these disciples and this New Testament church. And then as we go into Acts chapter 5, we begin to see a little bit about the community life that begins to develop in this New Testament church as the Lord deals with Ananias and Sapphira. And it becomes clear that God is going to require that the church be authentic, transparent, and that it not be what had become of that day, and that is simply a religious body that was void of the presence of God or the principles of God's Word. And then we see that once again, the Sanhedrin ties to stop it, and then we see the community life, which is a part of the church as the setting of priorities develops in Acts chapter 6 as they begin to focus on making sure their widows are not neglected. So as you look through this first part of the book of Acts, you see that this is a new body of believers. It is the the New Testament church in its infancy. They are sort of getting their feet under them, as it were. And the tension that is in the book of Acts is found in the first part and the fifth part. Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1 that ye shall be witnesses. But then the Sanhedrin said, no, ye shall not be witnesses. You're going to jail and you're going to be prisoners. So... So that's the conflict that you see early on in the book of Acts. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is still the conflict that we have in our world in 2017. The book of Acts starts out with the central theme of Christianity, which is Jesus is the risen Savior. He is exalted. He is Lord in Christ. He is the unique Savior of this world. Tell everybody about it. Then it becomes, you're not going to tell anyone about it. You shall be my witnesses. That's what's commanded by Christ. Ye shall not be my witnesses, which is commanded by the chief priests. This is the tension, and we see this early on, and this is still where we are in 2017. Stop talking about Jesus. Keep your faith to yourself. Yet Jesus tells us to keep talking, keep teaching, keep preaching. Keep going. Keep witnessing. Keep sharing the gospel. And yet culture tells us, keep it to yourself. Don't witness in the workplace. Don't witness in your school. And they're okay with general themes like prayer, a moment of silence. But as soon as you invoke the name of Jesus, boy, I mean the hair stands up on the back of their neck like, the hair on the back of a cat. It's all of a sudden, whoa, wait a second, Jesus? Why do you want to mention Jesus? 
They don't mind if you pray, as long as you just pray in general themes. I've, I've told this before, forgive me for telling it again, but I've got three new families here today, so I'm going to tell them. <laughs> I'm so glad new people come because I can tell old stories again. <laughs> the rest of you just laugh like you've never heard this before. But uh, years ago when I was in law school, I had the opportunity to study in Oxford and they asked me to pray at one of these big ends of the court deal where we all had to wear robes and they had all these big judges and people in England, all their court system and all that. And it was in this room that was like 800 years old and it was all of this history. And they said, we want you to pray. They knew I was a minister even though I was in law school. And they said, we want you to pray, but when you pray, we don't want you to pray in Jesus' name. And I said, oh, Really? They said, yeah, don't pray in Jesus' name. And I said, that, that's uh, interesting. They said, you may offend some of the students if you pray in Jesus' name. And they said, don't pray and say Heavenly Father because you may offend some other students. And so just kiddingly, I said, what about if I pray and say to whom it may concern? <laughs> they said, oh, that'll be great. That'll be great. So I said, okay. So we get in this room and it's all really formal and, you know, that's very, you know, proper and we all have on these black robes and and they stand up and they say Reverend Miles now going to pray a blessing on this meal because we have this meal first before we would have all these different judges speaking and so it was very formal and all that and I stood up really slow and deliberate you know and I said let us all bow our heads so everybody bowed their heads and then when everybody's eyes were closed and I figured it was safe, I threw my hands in the air. This, I'm not exaggerating this. And I said as loud as I could, Dear Jesus, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings upon this people. <laughs> thank you for pretending you've never heard that before. I appreciate it. So kind of you. <laughs> oh, man, I saw them judges all kind of looking at me with one eye like that. So afterwards, we were in the bus, and one of my professors came back there, and he said, now, you know you were told not to. I said, I know. I figured it would be easier to get forgiveness and permission. <laughs> and so we started talking about the Holy Ghost, and, and uh, he said, you speak in tongues. And I said, well, I have spoken tongues, and I... I speak in tongues as, as the Holy Ghost gives the utterance. It's not like something we could just pull a rabbit out of the hat. But when the Spirit moves upon people, we, we speak in tongues as the utterance or the evidence of the Spirit of God overflowing. And, and he said, is it real? And I said, yes. And he said, well, how do you know it's real? I said, because I've experienced it for myself. He said, well, ever, have you ever had a, a, a fake or a counterfeit experience speaking in tongues? And I said, not that I know of. And he said, well, then how do you know that what you've spoken is true? And I said... Well, because you don't have to have the counterfeit to prove what is true. You can know for yourself. And here's the great thing about being a witness. This is why I believe it is the favor of God that allows you and I to be witnesses of Christ. I don't see it as a great burden. Oh, I've got to tell somebody about the Lord. I see it as a great opportunity. I see it as the favor of God that we get to be witnesses eyewitnesses of the greatest thing on planet earth. <laughs> because I, I told this professor, I said, here's the thing that I want to tell you. You that have experienced the Holy Ghost, those that have 
encountered the Spirit of God in this way and it has manifested itself in us, we are the ones who are in the best position to know whether or not it's real or not real. If you haven't experienced God, you may want to argue against the authenticity of the Spirit of God as it gives evidence with the speaking of tongues, but you are in a less qualified position to disprove it than the person who has experienced it, witnessed it. Basically, you've got two things. You've got an expert witness and you've got circumstantial evidence. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go with the expert witness that says, I saw it. I felt it. He changed me. He delivered me. He saved me. He opened my blinded eyes. This is what I love about the God that we serve. He's a God of evidence. When this man that was lame was healed in Acts chapter 3, the council struggled with how to squelch this, this faith in Jesus Christ. They thought it would go away whenever he was crucified. But they struggled to squelch it because they said, and you can read about this in Acts 4, indeed a notable miracle hath been done. <laughs> and I like the fact that it was done right there on the doorstep to the temple. People say, well, you know, I can experience God without going to church. Let me tell you something right now. Church is where it starts. What happens in the community is the overflow of what God does because God honors the house of God, the people of God, and the name of God. When you gather in the house of God and you gather with God's people and you gather for the distinct purpose to exalt the name of God, that's what God visits first. That's another whole sermon. But the miracles that were undeniable after the ascension of Christ, it started there in the temple, in the lame man. Now, when the council had to try to get their arms around this, they said this, for indeed a notable miracle hath been done, and we cannot deny it. And they said, well, let's call them in here and question them. So they called them in. They're going to have a big, you know, trial and council and, and this and that. And they wanted to know about Peter and John. And you all prayed for him. What were you thinking? Da, da, da. And they said, the man's above 40 years old. Ask him yourself. And he says, look, you know, you guys figure it all out. I don't know the politics behind this. I don't know what all you want. Here's what I do know. I used to not be able to walk. And now I can walk and run and jump, ride a bicycle and a pogo stick. I added that part. Because <laughs> when God does it, he does it completely. Aren't you glad that when God saves you, he doesn't just give you a little touch of the Spirit of God. He changes you from the inside out. You've got new desires. You don't even want to go to the bar anymore. You say, i got a new way of living, a new way of thinking. The things I used to like, I don't like anymore. What I thought I'd never like, I can't hardly wait to get to the house of God to worship the Lord. I'm playing gospel music in my car. He gives you total salvation. Woo! Hallelujah. He said, I don't know. You guys figured it all out. Here's the only thing I know. God's touched me and I'm different than I used to be. Now, here's the point that I want to make in this message. I've only got a few minutes. 
the favor of God. We talk about, about different things that God does to favor us. But there is favor that comes upon a people that experience God for themselves in a tangible way. That you become a witness for Christ. Because everybody that knew you before knows that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Woo! And it doesn't matter if all of society tries to shut it down. They can't stop you from being a witness because your very life is a witness. That God is alive. That God is still changing people's lives. There's people that's in this building today. You used to be a drug addict. You couldn't get through a week without shooting up. But you're in the house of God. And you've been clean for years. And everybody knows it. But yet, it doesn't stop Society, culture, in this case it was the Sanhedrin. Stop talking about Jesus. Keep your faith to yourself. And then as you get into the Word of God, you'll find that these religious leaders became quite annoyed by the whole thing. Listen to what they said in Acts 4 and verse 2. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. The resurrection from the dead. They were upset that the disciples were teaching the people and declaring in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Not that they were just teaching about a resurrection or the resurrection, but the fact that it was about a very specific resurrection. It was about the resurrection of Jesus. It is the name of Jesus. And the declaring of that name. That is the defining point in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you and I have to decide. Are we going to embrace the name of Jesus? I'm excited in December to launch our new vision for 2018. Because it is something that we have worked on for a year and we believe that God has given us divine direction. But part of that vision that we're going to share in December, it is that we are not ashamed that we believe in the name of Jesus. And we're not going to water it down. We're not going to try to make it palatable for our culture. We are all Jesus. We baptize in the name of Jesus. We pray for the sick in the name of Jesus. We cast out devils in the name of Jesus. We are not ashamed of the name of Jesus. Because as the disciples said, there is no other name under heaven. given among men whereby we must be saved. So there was a reason why this New Testament church so embraced the name of Jesus. 
And, it, and really, if I had time to go into this, if you could see the reaction that they had after the lame man being healed, and then later on when the angel delivered him out of the prison, they found him back in the temple teaching the name of Jesus. You'll find that there was a distinct difference. And it shows me that even in our culture today, people don't mind, people like the fact that we are feeding 1,900 people. People like the fact in our culture that, that we're doing good and that we're building medical clinics in Haiti and that we're building orphanages and, and helping out people that are in need. They like all of that. They want us to do that. But now when you bring the name of Jesus into it, whoa, wait just a second. And you see this in the book of Acts. Just a lame man being healed was, okay, well, that's good. He used to be there, and we had to pass him going in, and now he's not going to be there anymore. That's helping clean up the steps, you know, the beautiful gate of the temple. So, okay, that's good. That was a positive thing. But then it's like, but they tie it all back into Jesus. And that just kind of mm, made their skin crawl a little bit because all these good deeds that were being done were connected to the name of Jesus. It's one reason why we had a, a crusade in Haiti this past year. We took some 40 people down there and had 372 people get the Holy Ghost in three nights. Here's what we were saying. We don't want to just come to Haiti and build a medical clinic and, and build an orphanage and, and put in a disaster relief warehouse and all the things that we have in plans for down there. We don't want to just do that without there being a revival, an undergirding of the Spirit of God. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. Uh, you can help people and there's always going to be a need and there's always going to be people desperately needing something in their, in their flesh. But you know what? It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, that changes us from the inside out. Uh, so we believe in it. It's part of our vision. You've heard it today. But ladies and gentlemen, all of that is empty if you don't have the power of the name of Jesus to say it's the Lord God Almighty, God manifest in the flesh that gives us a desire to help our fellow man. We're not just advocating a social gospel. We're saying that we have been favored with a personal experience of God. And so we are witnesses of him. And so you'll see the Sanhedrin, they changed when they saw that this thing was just spreading. The rhetorical question I ask you today is, what was it that was going to give them the power or the authority to be a witness of this resurrection. Well, it's given to us in Acts 1.8, the verse that we read to you is our text. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Holy Ghost that is given to the New Testament church that you and I are still a part of 2,000 years later. The Holy Ghost was given for the distinct purpose to be a witness of a very specific resurrection and to bear witness of who Jesus was. That's why if you're not sure who Jesus was, if you're not sure that he was God manifest in the flesh, you need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost will bear witness 
that Jesus is not Jehovah Junior, that Jesus is not one of three or five or ten or five thousand gods, but that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily. I'm going to tell you what, when you get the Holy Ghost, it is given to you to bear witness of who Jesus was. And if you don't believe that, you can look into the book of Acts, you can look into the Gospels, you can see how even the disciples who walked with Jesus and saw the miracles, how they even doubted at the point of the crucifixion. And they ran and scattered in every different direction like roaches in the daylight. And they weren't sure what to do And Peter denied the Lord three times and there was mass chaos. But after the Holy Ghost came upon them, they come into the temple in Acts 3 and Peter and John said, Look on us, fastening their eyes upon him. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Everything after the Holy Ghost was given them witness of who Jesus was. Now I'm going to tell you another story I've told you before. But this is so important because even recently we've heard more experiences about this and I believe that there is a revelation to this I told you a few years ago when we were in China my wife was with me brother Jimmy Chapman was with us and the very first meeting that we had of course you know in China the churches we meet in the underground it took like two hours ago on different subways and whatnot we finally met with a group of individuals that were home leaders in other words they were individuals that had church in their homes and there was about 150 of them that were gathered together and and we started teaching about the Holy Ghost we started teaching about the Holy Ghost we were showing them scriptures that we had translated into Chinese we were putting them up and when we gave an invitation for people to receive the Holy Ghost in America you get you know certain percentage of people go to the altar but others start looking at their watch and we got to go eat and we got to get out of here before the traffic backs up. You know, they start thinking logistically. China, it's a different story. It was 100% participation. People are so hungry. I've never seen anything like it. And they all, they all came from, we started praying for the Holy Ghost and people were falling out all over the place speaking in tongues. It was an amazing thing. And we were struggling with find, finding translators. And this one lady, she began to speak in perfect English with no accent. And she began to just say, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so we were praying with her. And afterwards, I, I said to uh, one of the individuals that was a part of our group that was able to speak both languages. I said, that lady may be a good translator. And they went over and talked to her and see if she could translate our next service. We were in the city of Shanghai. And... Uh, they came to find out that she did not speak a single word of English. But when she was saying that Jesus is God, she was receiving the Holy Ghost, speaking a language that she had never spoke or heard before. As she was receiving the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost was bearing witness of the identity of who Jesus is. I was talking to Brother Showalter, who was here with us. In uh, he's a missionary evangelist, goes all around the world, and uh, I think he's even down in Cuba right now. But 
we, we were talking about different things that happened overseas. He started telling me about different examples that they've had happen in the last few months. Now, this was back in July about how people had received the Holy Ghost uh, and they were speaking in English. They'd never heard English and they understood them. Some of them Spanish because he also speaks Spanish and he understood and he said every time they're getting the Holy Ghost, they're bearing witness of who Jesus is. They're declaring the oneness of God. And then Brother Woodward, who was here a few weeks ago, told us uh, about his instances where he has had a similar experience uh, where when they received the Holy Ghost, uh, they were speaking about who Jesus is. Uh, you know what I got to thinking? If we could understand everything being said when people are speaking in tongues, uh, I believe that it would be a witness to the identity of Jesus. Everybody saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus rose from the dead. Because the Bible says that the Spirit was going to come with power to bear witness. So I submit to you today that for us to be witnesses of Christ is part and parcel to the favor that God has given us. When the revelation came again to the church about Jesus' name, baptism, of course, we know the New Testament church baptized in Jesus' name. But then through the council of Nicaea and the falling away and, the, and all the different things that developed throughout the ages, they got into man's traditions. They got away to, from Jesus' name, baptism, as they combined different aspects of different belief systems. They brought together all the paganistic concepts of the Roman government and mixed Christianity into all of this. And at first they thought it would be a blessing, but it, as history has bore out now, probably one of the most damaging things to the church. But things started changing. 1500, you got Martin Luther, you got all this Reformation period as people are getting the Bible now in their hands and the Wittenberg Press and all the things that started happening as people got back to the truth and they got back to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and so forth. So when I talk about the revelation of the name of Jesus, it's not like something that's only happened in the last 100 years. It was a revival of the revelation of the name of Jesus, specifically as it related to Jesus' name baptism. When that began to happen and began to take place all over America and even around the world, there was an attempt to extinguish this faith by disparaging classifications like these are the Jesus-only people. And it was meant to try to put us in a light that was somewhat second class. And so people said, we're not Jesus only. We are Jesus everything. And so when people say, oh, you're those Jesus only people. For years it's been said, no, no, we're not Jesus only. We're Jesus everything. But I have gone back to that, and I am now deciding, this is just me, that I am perfectly comfortable with just being Jesus only. I'm glad to see I'm by myself in this. <laughs> Maybe I should explain the logic behind this position I'm taking. When we say that we are Jesus only, we're saying something that I believe is very profound biblically. 
We are saying that we have a revelation that when you say Jesus, you've said it all. <laughs> but more importantly, we're also embracing a classification that has by its very nature an exclusive element. And I'm going to talk more about this tonight when we talk about the certainty of Christ. What we are saying when we say we're Jesus only is that we're saying that we believe there's only one way to go to heaven. And we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been given favor to witness we are Jesus only. We don't believe that Buddha's going to take you to heaven. We don't believe that Mohammed is going to take you to heaven. We believe there's only one way, that there's only one door, and it's through the name of Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. We're all Jesus. We don't run from that. We embrace that. We believe it. We witness it. We believe it. And we declare it. Jesus was not just a, a good teacher. He was the resurrected Messiah. It is Jesus that is the answer to the ills of this world. I got to hurry. If you look at the sermons that Jesus preached after the Holy Ghost fell in Acts 2 and then the sermon that he preached in Acts 3 after the lame man was healed, they're quite different. They're both about Jesus and his power, but in Acts 3, after the lame man's healed, Peter focuses on Christ being the answer to making us whole in our humanity. That this is much more than a religious experience. Acts chapter 3 and verse 16, and his name, this is Peter now talking about the lame man being healed as he's having to testify before the Sanhedrin. And his name, referring to the name of Jesus, his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Another translation says, total well-being. This is more than just speaking in tongues in an upper room. This is the power of God that puts us back together again in our humanity. It's the power of the name of Jesus that saves marriages that are in trouble. It's the power of the name of Jesus that delivers kids from drugs and alcohol. It's the power of the name of Jesus that delivers us from fear and depression. It's the power of the name of Jesus that gives us perfect soundness in our humanity. And it's the favor of God that allows us to witness. Now, the research of what faith does on the human mind, I can't get into all of it this morning. I got all kinds of good things, but I can't do it before time. There's too much time to take. But just suffice it all to say this. The emotional state of the Spirit of God on the hum humanity portion of us is undeniable. I watched an interview the other day where a bunch of Harvard medical students was interviewing a scientist, and they were talking about this very subject. I'll refer to some more of it again tonight. But there was, it was undisputable 
that the peace and comfort that takes place in the human psyche when a man or a woman confesses their faith in God is without dispute, ladies and gentlemen. And if you look at the reaction of the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 3, it is very responsive to the healing of the lame man as it's related to the message that Peter was preaching. In their minds, it was a crisis, but it was very limited. That's why they let them go. But by chapter 5, it was a different story. So the witness of the well-being of a single man is now multiplied by multitudes. Because when you read Acts chapter 5, I'll begin in verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Was it because Peter had power? No, it was because Peter said, we're Jesus only. You know what would happen at the first Pentecostal church in Palm Bay if we had 800 people that said we're Jesus only. We believe it's all in Jesus. We believe we're healed by the power of the name of Jesus. We believe by the power of the name of Jesus. Our family will be saved. We believe by the power of the name of Jesus. There came also, this is what God wanted to do. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Another translation says jealousy. Mm. They laid their hands on the apostles, they put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people. All the words of this life, ladies and gentlemen, it's still the same mandate for us today. Go, stand. We got to be able to withstand the forces of this world and speak, declare it. The favor of God is upon the disciples. But it is with this imperative that we be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you this morning that nothing can stop a witness. Stand to your feet because I know my time's gone. I wish I had more time. I wish I could, I wish I could illustrate all this through the legal principles. It doesn't matter how good of an attorney you've got. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank. If you've got a witness that has seen you commit the crime, there is nothing more powerful than an eyewitness. Yes, they'll try to discredit you. Yes, they'll try to ask leading questions, but in the final matter, nothing as powerful as a man or woman says, you figure it out in all of your theological circles, but here's what I know. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. 
I don't know how it all works. And you may not even have a revelation of how it all transcribes from the Word of God. But you've had, you've had a revelation. Jesus and Jesus only has made a significant difference in your life. I feel this morning there's a mighty move of the Spirit of God right now here's what I feel in my spirit and all of my heart If you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues this is where we got to start this morning I want you to step out from where you're standing come and gather down here in the front come quickly those that are coming in behind them if you need a healing like this lame man God and you just said I need the the perfect soundness that comes only from the Lord. I want you to come in behind those that are down here. And I want us, we're going to pray together right now for the favor of God to come upon us in terms of a physical healing. That's the second level of power. The third level that I want to pray right now because I feel the favor of God in this house today is if you're asking God to make you a witness, to open the door, to share the gospel with somebody, I don't know who or where or what, but you say, I want to be used of God. I want you to step out from where you're standing. I want you to come down. I want everybody to come down and to make up your mind. I'm going to declare today without fear. We're going to pray, first of all, for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you'll begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance. You may not know what you're saying. It may sound like baby talk, but there's going to be a witness... There's going to be a witness in your spirit. And the next prayer that we're going to pray is for a physical demonstration of the Spirit of God that is undeniable. And if you're in pain right now, I'm believing that God is going to set you free. And you're going to leave this place in just a few moments. And you're going to be able to bear witness to the fact that he's still healing people. And he's still delivering people. And then we're going to pray a prayer of favor that God would give us boldness to witness. First of all, all of you that need the gift of the Holy Ghost, would you raise your hands right now? He said, I need the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. People are back here in the back. Some of them are down here. 
Those of you that are standing around, we still got room. You can press down a little bit more. We got room at the altar still. I want you to find somebody and just put your hand on them right now. We're going to pray the outpouring of the Spirit of God. When we pray the prayer of faith, I want you to just lift your voice and I want you to begin to shout hallelujah as Brother Woodward just told us a few weeks ago. When you begin to shout hallelujah, there's something that takes place in the spirit world. And you'll begin to speak out words. If it sounds like baby talk, don't be afraid, but let it go. There's a witness that takes place. I said there's a witness that takes place. And you may not even understand what you're saying, but your spirit is connecting hallelujah with heaven. I wonder right now if you'd lift up your hands all over this building. If you're standing there next to somebody, I want you to pray the prayer of faith right now. Lift up your hands by the authority of the Word of God, by the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Receive ye the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's it. Now shout out hallelujah just as loud as you can. That's it. If you've received the Holy Ghost, if you've already received it, speak it out in tongues right now.
I receive it. I receive it. It's fallen. It's fallen. Oh, yes, Lord. He loves you. He forgives you. Yes, Lord. I submit it all to you, Jesus. 